Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to uh, the end of the tapestry year uh, as Christmas and New Year are going to fall on uh, Sundays this year. Uh, this is our last service together until January 7th, is that right? So that's going to be a minute, um, but we are thick in the Christmas. Uh, how many of you are ready for Christmas? Presents bought, wrapped, ready to go for one week from today? How many of you have not started? Anybody not started? Whoa, I'm, oh, Patrick, you're my man. Uh, I have started. Yes, I have started. Don't let her tell you otherwise. Um, yeah, well, have you ever, at some point, and this time to, if there's something that we do here at Tapestry, it's we're honest and we say the quiet parts out loud. Um, so here we go. I'm going to ask you one of the questions that's the quiet parts out loud today. Have you ever, uh, in the midst of a Christmas season, wondered if all of it were actually true? Anybody? Yeah, right? I mean, during the season of nativities and songs about baby Jesus, like that doesn't seem like the right time to, to stop and say, hey, did this really happen? But more and more and more, uh, this is becoming the case, right? It's not uncommon to see billboard advertisements uh, around, um, like one like this uh, that we saw. You know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason, so you've seen that out. There's a, another one that, that we saw. This one, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then we've got another one that we've seen. Go ahead and skip church. Just be good for goodness sake. Yeah, so there's this sentiment out there. You're, you're, so if you've had this question, you're not the only one to think it. But this is at least the season to pretend to believe, even if you don't believe, Right? Like, this is, this is not the time to question it. Well, at, at some point in your life, and maybe for some of you, this might be a more recent point, a point that you're in, um, there comes a time of questioning. You have to. If you're going to have a real faith, you have to have an actual time of questioning and ask yourself, is this all actually real? I mean, angels talking to shepherds? Really? <laughs> like, okay. All right, wise men following a star. Can you even follow a star? Is that a thing? Like, and how wise are you if you're just following a star? Like, what, 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 what's a, a virgin birth? I mean, let's stop and think about that one for a moment. <laughs> really? A virgin? But we're so accustomed to hearing it that it doesn't even really affect us anymore, right? We don't even think about it. But if you think about it too long, your mind, your mind starts to go in very unchristian directions. It does. And there's so much about the story and the birth of Jesus that honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, is difficult to accept. It's difficult to accept that it actually happened. And, and, and beyond that, why is this story in the Bible anyway? Like, why did they, why did they include it? Well, what do we learn from the story of the virgin birth, right? I, I have no idea what to do with it. There isn't any practical application to the idea of the virgin birth, right? Some people have made the point um, uh, that the story of the birth gives credibility to everything that he taught and did after that. My problem with that is I kind of think the resurrection does that, gives the credibility. I mean, if you can predict uh, your own death and resurrection, 
I don't really care who your dad was or wasn't. <laughs> Doesn't really matter to me, right? I don't find it, I don't find it uh, integral. I don't find it uh, necessary in the story. So I, I, I don't even know, I don't, I don't think the story of the birth has to be there for the whole rest of it to be relevant and for it to still make sense. Uh, and if you, if you have to, believe in angels talking to people and you have to believe in wise men following stars and babies being born to virgins. Um, for a lot of people, that's a game stopper. Like if I have to believe these things, I'm out. I can't start with that. And so there's a lot of people that aren't ever to act, able to make it past that part of the story to even discover uh, the rest of it. Right, and you know, this isn't, this is also another thing. If you're familiar with history and you like studying things that have gone on, it's not uncommon for there to be stories surrounding uh, things supposedly happening in the heavens when famous people were born. Those stories are all out there. For example, um, when Julius Caesar was born, Supposedly, according to the history books that Caesar paid to have written, uh, according to those that we look at, all of the stars and planets aligned on the night of his birth, right? So there, for there to suddenly be this story about, you know, stars and angels with the birth of Jesus, the fact that the story exists isn't really that uncommon, and if we don't really think about what happened when Julius Caesar was born, why would we spend much time thinking about what happened when Jesus was born? Now, one little caveat about all of the other stories that are out there about famous people and things that happened uh, when they were born. Those stories generally didn't surface right away. Those stories generally surfaced long after everybody who was alive during the time had died and moved on is generally when those stories started to be. After it became apparent that that person was going to be a significant historical figure, then all of a sudden these stories would start popping up. In Jesus's case, uh, the stories started surfacing long before Jesus had any historical significance. They started floating out there before anybody knew that the death and the resurrection was gonna happen. But still, it's all sort of mystical. It's all sort of difficult to believe. If you stop and think about it, some of you maybe have never really stopped and thought about it. And you're like, well, thanks, Andy. You just ruined Christmas. Mm. Some of you can't stop thinking about it. And maybe finally a preacher said out loud what you've thought <laughs> on your own uh, in the past, right? And I want you to know it's okay. That is perfectly acceptable to have these questions. Because if you look at it just through the lens of pure reason, it is a difficult, if not impossible story to accept. And the real problem is that it may keep you, if you can't accept it because of that story and people who can't get past it, it will keep you from discovering the rest of the New Testament, right? Because if you have to accept this part, it's difficult to move on to the next part. That's why the verses that we're gonna look at today are maybe some of the most important verses in the New Testament, right? If you're a person who says, I'm willing to go along with the Santa Claus myth and the Jesus myth, it's fine. Let's just do this Christmas time, right? I don't have to make it historical. I can just accept it as a cultural part of the season. You know, if that's you, these verses that we're going to look at are vital, vital for you uh, in understanding how a lot of this went down. And my hunch is that most of us have never really read these verses, at least not read, at least don't really remember uh, these verses uh, because they aren't very famous. 
not really much famous about this. The traditional Christmas story that everybody knows is found in the book of Luke, which really isn't a book. We've discussed that a lot. It's just one of several writings. It's not even uh, written as a book. It's written uh, essentially as a letter. Uh, And uh, the interesting thing is that Luke, who wrote it, he wasn't even Jewish. Uh, We don't know a whole lot about him. We think that he was a doctor. And this non-Jewish doctor was not looking for a Messiah. That was not what he's doing. He didn't need one. He wasn't a part of the Jewish faith. And so he had no need to search out and write a story about a Messiah. In fact, in fact, none of the first century Jews were looking for a Messiah, which you might think, that doesn't sound right. You're right, that's not right. But the rest of the sentence is a Messiah who was born of a virgin. That was not part of it. That was not anything that they were looking for right? It wasn't in the job description. There were many, many wannabe messiahs who showed up on the scene and said, hey, the guy you all have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, he is me. There were a lot of guys who did that. Not one of them, in an effort to prove themselves valid, claimed that their mother was a virgin when they were born. Not one of them, because it wasn't a thing, right? In fact, in fact, if you did say that, what it would do is it would disqualify you because all of the prophecies about Jesus were that he was going to come from the line of David. And so for somebody to show up and say, hey, I don't have a dad, that disqualifies you from Messiah. So nobody who was wanting to be a fake Messiah would say that, right? And so nobody, no Jews in the first century were looking for a virgin-born Messiah. Nobody expecting the virgin birth thing. But Luke embraced the teachings of Jesus And he had a friend named Theopolis, right? Now, Theopolis uh, was a Christian, like some of you may be Christians. He believed in general, wasn't sure on the specifics. In general, I'm behind the whole God thing, the Christ thing, yet Jesus like seemed like a good dude. Yep, I think I'm gonna do that. Uh, Start asking me too many detailed questions about what's in there, Uh, not sure. But yeah, mark me down for the Christian category. That That was where Theopolis was, right? And he had questions. And he would occasionally ask Luke, hey, Luke, I've got this question. Do you have any idea? So Luke says, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. Because I know that my buddy Theophilus, he has all these questions and the story isn't straight. So there's got to be a lot of other people who have these questions and the story isn't straight. So I'm going to set out and I'm going to interview a whole bunch of people and I'm going to get the story straight. That's what I'm going to do. He's going to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And this account that Luke writes, it doesn't read like a myth. It doesn't read like a fairy tale. Um, It reads like history. That is the way that he did it. And this is why I think these verses are so important. Here's how Luke begins uh, this document, this letter that he wrote for his friend Theophilus so that he would have an idea of all of the details. He starts out this, first chapter, first verse. Many have undertaken to draw up an account. An account that is different than a story, right? That is not a made-up story. An account is a record of what took place. An account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And the things that he's talking about are all of the things, from birth to death to resurrection, that surrounded Jesus, all the teachings, all the miracles, all the people that joined him, all the people that tried to kill him, all the whole nine yards. Now, this is fascinating. Um, 
Because Luke, 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 in the first century before Jesus was famous, said a lot of people are trying to get this story straight, right? A lot of people who were right around it and kind of saw some of the stuff going on around it, but wasn't real sure of some of the behind the scenes. And so they're trying to take all these stories that we hear people talking about, and they're trying to put get them and put them in order and make one whole story out of it, which is why we've got so many accounts of the life of Jesus. And when I say we've got so many accounts, most of you thought, yes, we have four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We do have those four accounts. There's a whole lot more. They just didn't make it in. (laughs) There are tons of accounts of the life of Jesus that are ancient uh, manuscripts out there, right? So that's why we've got these. Lots of people wrote accounts, but these four survived. These four made it in to be scripture. So he says that they've been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us. That is, they were fulfilled the same way that the prophets and our forefathers told us they were going to happen. And this is critical. By those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke says to Theophilus, he says, here's the deal, right? Here's what it is. The account I'm giving you, this isn't third-hand rumors. This isn't, oh, it got so many shares on Facebook, so it must be right right? This isn't, this isn't, I saw a meme and I agreed with it, so I stuck it in the story. Like, this isn't what this is. It says, no, this is people who were personal eyewitnesses to the events, and I sat down and had them tell me their story. And Luke personally knew the apostle John. He personally knew the apostle Paul, and he would talk with these people. He, he keeps going. He says this, he goes, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Now, that's an interesting statement. That's an interesting, he says, look, the account I'm about to give you is the result of investigation, the time I spent with people who were actually there. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent, Theophilus, which is how we know this letter was to a guy named (laughs) Theophilus. That is some deep Bible study right there. Um, And this is what he says. Uh, And this is awesome. He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Theophilus had been told all of these random stories, right? By Luke, by investigating the, uh, Luke, by investigating everything, decided to write the account, give it to him. So he had certainty, certainty in what he said he believed. Now, here's why this is important. This is important because Christianity is based on an event that happened in history. Christianity is not based on the teachings of someone. They inform us, but it's not based on that. Many faiths are based on the teaching of somebody. It's based on events that happened in history that began with the birth and Luke tells one of his contemporaries, I know that you need more information. So I've conducted this investigation with the eyewitnesses. And what I'm about to give you is an account, not a story, an account of something that actually happened among us. And a lot of people are trying to get this straight because this is so important that we dare not let it be, let the details slip away to the oral tellings and spreading of it. We've got to get it right. We've got to get it written down. So you see, as he's starting out that way, that, that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't start like once upon a time, right? He's not starting his life of Christ 
theory or story with long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Or there once was a king in a far off land. Don't ask me which land, it's a far off land, right? That's not how it is. He started all the way back at the beginning. And what Luke gives us is not a story, but an account of the birth, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of the one who he accepts as the Messiah. So here's how his account begins. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace 
to those on whom his favor rests. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you that we have the opportunity to remember and to celebrate you becoming one of us, to be a savior, to bring to us the gift of peace. That gift of peace, knowing that we no longer have to wonder where we stand with you. That as you came to be one of us, to live amongst us, to eventually die for us and be raised from the dead, Lord, that that established a new level of relationship between us in which our actions no longer are relevant to the equation that we do not have to behave perfectly according to a law. We do not have to sacrifice perfectly according to custom in order for our sins to simply be covered. But Lord, you, through the act of the death and the resurrection, have removed our sins from us and have invited us into a new relationship, a new covenant in which we are to have intimacy and relationship with you, in which you have invited us to approach your throne boldly. Lord, I pray that as we go through this Christmas season, Lord, let there be a time for each of us when the magnitude and the weight of what it is that we're actually celebrating settles upon our shoulders. And may we feel that peace. And may we turn and allow the gift that you have given us to affect the way that we live and relate to those around us. Lord, I thank you that unto us a child was born who would be a savior. In your name, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Hope to see all of you tonight. Hope you have a great Christmas season. If we don't see you tonight, we'll see you January 7th.